Almighty God, you are faithful. You are our God who has promised us a blessed rest, a better country, a heavenly homeland, and a glorious city. This is our great end and our only hope. Lord, we confess our hope can only be built upon you and not upon the things of this world. Our security, our health, our status, our family, our credentials are not able to shoulder the weight of hope. Lord, help us this morning see these hopes as fleeting and empty. Grant us eyes of faith, Lord, that we may see our true and only hope in our eternal inheritance through Christ, who is our superior Savior and who offered himself as the superior sacrifice that we may be redeemed by his blood and enter into his rest. We pray for faith in Christ this morning, Lord. Hope in heaven and a love for the saints that your name may be honored through our lives and your glory may be displayed into this world. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be discussing the issue of hope. I'm convinced that we do not live in a world that's hopeless. Each and every one of you, in fact, have some measure of hope. The proof of that is that you got out of bed this morning and you entered into your day. And so that hope, whatever it may be, is driving you. The issue for us, and so, t- so often when we look into the world and we see hopelessness, the issue is not that there's very little hope. The issue is, I believe, that our hope is placed in things that are transient and dying and moving and going away. And when we rest our hope into those things and then all of a sudden they begin dissolving, we don't know where to put them next because we tried other things, haven't we? We tried to place our hope in so many different things. And each worldly endeavor, each worldly hope, each aim that this world gives to us is saying, this will make you happy. This is what you can place your hope in. This is what you can place your security in. We find that each and every one finds its its end. So this morning we're going to be talking about hope. And my prayer as a pastor to you is that when we leave here this morning, that we will, this is my prayer, verse 23 of chapter 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's our text this morning. And as we begin our text, because this is the shorter of the three, I told you last week we're going to be looking at, last week we looked at the assurance of faith. The, what's called divine triad is faith, hope, and love. Last week we looked at faith. This week we're going to be looking at hope. Next Lord's Day, Lord's willing, Lord willing, we're going to be looking at love. This morning we're going to be looking at hope. And it's one of the smaller verses. So what I wanted to do this morning is I wanted to show you again, as I just mentioned in passing last week, but I want to show you from your Bible, um, this divine triad in 
uh, in the other places in the Bible to convince you that this is, in fact, the very necessary, evident fruit of a person who is seeking to appropriate and receive the gospel and to live it out. What's, the, what's that look like? Well, that looks like someone who is growing in their faith in Christ, their hope for a heaven and their love for the saints. If you will, um, just for a moment, let's turn back and look in our Bibles in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. I want us to see this in Paul's letter there. Colossians chapter 1. And if you have the paperback Bibles, that's on page 638. Page 638 in your paperback Bibles there that we provide for you at the table. Page 638. Colossians chapter 1. What's interesting about the book of Colossians is, and I preached through this Several years ago now. But the interesting uh, note about the book of Colossians is that Paul had never visited Colossae. He'd never been there. He didn't know these people. He didn't know faces and names of people that were there. But he had, it says here in our passage, he had heard about something in this place in Colossae. And he heard about these people. It says in Colossians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. He's calling them saints and faithful brothers. How does he know that these are in fact saints and faithful brothers in the midst of this world that was so contrary to the gospel? How did he know that these people were in fact believers? They were those who had been shaped by the gospel. Verse 3, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard... you see this in verse 4? Since we heard... Paul says, I've heard about you guys. And the way he's able to determine that they are indeed the saints, the faithful brothers in Christ, is that he has heard about them and he's heard three particular things about this this church that he had never been to. Verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You see those three things there? So how is it that Paul was able to discern that this was, in fact, a true, genuine church? Because he had heard of their faith in Christ, their hope for heaven, their love for the saints. And those markers, those things, were the things that helped him discern, yes, the gospel was, in fact, being dispensed there, being proclaimed there. Because as I mentioned last week, and I'll mention it again today, the gospel soil is what is the only soil that these things can grow out of. You can't, you can't produce these any other way. This faith in Christ, hope for heaven, love for the saints. Turn with me just a couple pages over to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. This is just two examples, and then I'm going to move on. But every book in the New Testament, with the exception of the Gospels, and those are more scattered. I could find them, but it's more scattered. Every book in the New Testament, specifically ones of the churches... Paul here is mentioning the fact that he is seeing these fruits, faith, hope, and love, being manifested in, this, in, their, in the congregations there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in my prayers, remembering before our God and Father, what? Your, walk, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. Both of these occurrences, Paul is saying that he's remembering these people in their prayers and he's thankful to God for them. Why? Because he's seeing this hope, this faith, and this love in them. Is this what we pray for each other as a congregation? Are these the things that we are thankful for 
And we tell people, you know what, brother, I see this hope for heaven in your heart as you've been going through this difficult time when everything in your life seemed to be uh, crumbling and your hope was in heaven. And I see that and I thank God for it. Is that the kind of congregation that we are? That's the kind of congregation that I want us to be? That we're constantly praying for this faith, hope, and love in one another and that we're constantly encouraging and commending one another in that regard. I've seen it in so many of your lives, I must say. Whether it be in a hospital or in a bedroom or in a, or in a uh, home, in the living room, out in your community, as you were struggling with different things and issues and stuff in your life, your hope was in heaven, your faith was in Christ, your love for was for one another. I want to commend that and I want to encourage that and constantly encourage that for you as a congregation. That's why we're slowing down here in Hebrews. That's why I wanted to take some time and slow down in Hebrews chapter 10 to reaffirm in our own hearts that this is the very thing that makes us who we are as a body of believers. This is the thing that's going to mark us out. And I want us to note that we can't have just one of these. We know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the end of that chapter, chapter 13, so these three remain, right? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is is love. And so that's the one we really need. We don't really need the other two, right? Well, if you read through that, what you find, if you look carefully, is that this hope in heaven that's rooted in a faith in Jesus Christ produces a love that is displayed. And that love that we see in 1 Corinthians 13 is not a love that we see today very often, is it? It's a love that is, that is rooted in this hope in heaven and this faith in Christ. That's why it's so different looking, this love that's being displayed in 1 Corinthians 13. It's because this love is rooted in something that's otherworldly. It's not just in this world. Sadly, when we go to weddings, they read that chapter, right, inevitably. And it seems as if the hope is in one another as the couple instead of in their God who can sustain and keep them. And so this morning, I want us to notice that these three things, faith, hope, and love, are what God has called us to. And I want us to, in our own mind, in our own heart, keep them together. If you run up on the word faith or hope or love in your Bibles as you're reading through them, begin backing up a little bit and looking at the verses around them and see if you can find and spot hope or love if you see faith. Or, 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 or faith and love if you see the word hope. I think you'll be surprised at how many times when you run across one of those words, if you look in the context in that chapter or paragraph, you'll see those others finding their way there as well. Because those things stay together. They're supposed to be together. And so this morning, as we consider this hope that I want us to look at and I want us to uh, define and understand this morning, I want us to hang our thoughts on three particular ideas this morning concerning hope. Three particular ideas, and these are the three points. The first one is the mandate to hope, the mandate to hope. We see this in verse 23 here at the very beginning. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, the mandate to our hope. Point number two, the manner of our hope, the manner of our hope. We're to hope in such a way that we do it without wavering. Do you see that? And then thirdly, the motive for our hope, the motive for our hope. Why or how can we hope and hold fast to this hope without wavering? How can we do that? Well, we can do that. Why? The motive is for he who promised is faithful. Those are our three points. The manner, excuse me, the mandate to hope, the manner of hope, 
and the motive for our hope. Let us look first at the mandate. Let us hold fast to the confession. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. This word here, let us hold fast, is the same as the let us draw near in verse 22 and then the let us consider how to stir one another up in verse 24. It's the same word, but here it says, let us hold fast. And the idea here is let us continue to hold fast. Let us be be diligent to hold fast. It's not something that we are speaking of here where let us hold fast in some time and point in the past and then we can get past it and we can move on. But this idea is that we are constantly supposed to be coming and saying, I need, to, I need to come back to this idea of holding fast to this confession of hope. We need to come back to it regularly. Our hope is not perfect, nor will it ever be on this side of earth. And so this pastor here is encouraging this congregation, and I am encouraging you this morning. Let us constantly be coming back and saying, let me hold fast, let me hold firmly to this confession of hope that God has given to us. Let us return to that. Why? Because your hope is never perfect. You're always going to be wavering. You're always going to be moving to try to try to have your hope in something other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so let me encourage you this morning, brothers and sisters, to hold fast to this confession of hope. It's in the same way last week, as I mentioned, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Verse 22. Do you know why the pastor was telling these people that? It wasn't because their faith was so full and so sure and so steady that they didn't need this encouragement. No, they struggled just like we do. They constantly found themselves wandering in their faith and doubting in different areas. So this pastor here is saying, let us draw near with a true heart and a full assurance of faith. This morning, I want to encourage you, let us hold fast. Let us hold fast. Let us continue to come back and reevaluate and consider how we can continue in this holding fast in the confession of our hope. Well, what is it then that we're to hold fast to? It says here that we're hold fast to this confession. This confession. Sadly, today, we have those who are holding fast to our feelings for the hope that's in us. Or maybe you may... Try to hold fast to a personal past experience, something that's happened in your past, and hold fast to that for your hope that's within you. Or maybe you may try to hold fast to your own personal obedience, your faithfulness to the Lord. You may try to hold fast to that. Or even some of you may hold fast to the fact that you understand the faith so well. You have all of your theology right, and you're able to articulate it well. Brothers and sisters, if you're holding fast to that, you're holding fast to something that has no hope. There is no hope in that. There's only one thing that we can hold fast to, and in according to our passage, it is the confession of our hope. The confession of our hope. Now, what is this confession that's being spoken of here? Well, it's nothing less than chapters 1 through 10 of the book of Hebrews. It's the idea here of the fact that Jesus Christ is, in fact, indeed, a superior Savior. He's one that is superior to Moses and to the angels and to Abraham and to all of the others earlier. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's a superior Savior. Secondly, He has come and He has shed His blood as a superior sacrifice for our sins. So that there isn't a continual coming back with the blood of goats and bulls. But instead, Christ's blood and His sacrifice was sufficient to remove sin and to take the wrath of God on our behalf. So that, why? So that we can go into the presence of God. You see, brothers and sisters, this is our confession. This is our confession of hope. 
It's not about your feelings. It's not about your past experiences. It's not about your obedience or your intellect. It's about what Christ has done for you. Our confession that we're to hold fast to is what Christ has accomplished for us. His superior status as Savior. And His superior sacrifice as one who came and shed His blood that we may have remission of sin. Now, aren't we constantly wavering? We think that if we do better... If we did better yesterday and obeyed God and did all the things that we think God would want us to do, then he's more happy with us on those days that we do really well. Not as happy on the days that we lose it, right? And that we mess up and that we make uh, mistakes and we do all these other things. Brothers and sisters, if that's the kind of life you live in, then you're living, placing your hope in things that you're doing and not in what God's doing for you. I want to encourage you, as this pastor has encouraged his congregation, let us, friends, not hold fast to the things that are in us. Let us hold fast to our confession of hope, what Christ has done for us. We see this confession being displayed as nothing other than what we call in shorthand the gospel. Hebrews chapter 3, if you want to turn back there for just a moment and look at Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 say, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus... Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. You see that? That's the status of who Christ is. He is the apostle and high priest of what? Of our confession. Our confession that he is, in fact, the son of God, Jesus Christ, the apostle and high priest, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. This is our confession that Jesus Christ is our high priest. He's the son of God, and he was faithful. Again, we see this, if you turn one more page over in chapter 4 of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 14. Chapter 4, verse 14, it says this, Since then we have a great high priest, that's who Jesus is, who has passed through the heavens, that's what he has done. Jesus, that's his earthly name, the Son of God, that's his divine name. Let us hold fast our confession, which was that very thing right there, that he's a high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to this confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, this is our confession. Our confession is one of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, what he has done for us. Now, let's note this, brothers and sisters, that our confession has content, it's not some feeling. It's not some thing that is a, a, a thing that we can do or perform. It has content. And there's a danger. There's a danger in us seeking to find our hope in things other than our confession. Our confession. And that now we turn to in verse 23. Verse 23, chapter 10, verse 23. Get on the right page here. Let us hold fast. The confession... And then we see here of our hope. This mandate then, this imperative, this command is saying, let us hold fast our confession, which has content, the gospel. This gospel we are to do something with, and that is that we are to hope in that. We're to place our hope in that. Now, you and I both know that so often we think of the word hope, and that word hope doesn't seem to have substance in our heart and mind, does it? It's kind of an ethereal term. It's something we can't really put our hands on. The interesting thing is, is that you look up this word hope in the English dictionaries, this is one of the definitions you'll find. A feeling that something desired may happen. That's worthless as far as I'm concerned. 
I mean, if that's what hope is, then, then man, don't, don't, I don't need that. That, that's not, that doesn't do anything for me. A, a feeling that something desired may happen. That, that's an almost definite maybe. You see how that works? That, there, there's nothing substantial there. That's hoping. A synonym for hope is to wish in the English language. However, interestingly enough, the Greek word elpis is a word that speaks of a confident surety. You see, the idea that we have of hope is, I really hope that I get lunch today. And it may happen and it may not. But the idea in, in Scripture of hope is a confident surety, a sure expectation, a confident reality. That's the understanding of hope. It's not something that may happen. It's not something we can wish that will happen. It's something that will surely happen, and yet he does not yet happen. We haven't seen it yet. According to Romans chapter 8, verse 24, For in this hope we were saved. In this hope we were saved. That's a confident thing. However, we haven't seen it yet, according to Romans eight twenty-four. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees in? What he sees. So it's something that we haven't seen, but yet, yet is still, it is a confidence that we have in what God has promised. Let me help you here, hopefully, give you a couple of definitions, a couple of things that I've been reflecting on the word hope and how this is understood. Maybe we can understand it a little better. Hope is a confident, joyful waiting. That helped me. Because that's, that's helpful for me to see practically what that is. Hope is a confident, joyful waiting. That's what hope is. You see, faith is trusting that God is very good. Faith is trusting that God is very good. But hope, hope is longing for our God who is very good. Do you see that? Faith is trusting that God is very good. Hope is a longing for our God who is very good. Faith is trusting in what Christ did on the cross. Hope is longing for what God, who God is in heaven. Do you see the difference? Faith is aimed at the cross. Hope is aimed in heaven. Faith looks to the cross in Christ. Hope looks to heaven and to our God. Hope is a confident, joyful waiting. I shared this last week, and I think it's probably the best definition for hope. And it's really the best description for us of what hope really is. Let me ask you, was this, um, was this hope that Abraham had a, um, a feeling of something that he desired to happen or a wish? Let me ask you that. Now, listen, you, you've heard this before. I'm, I'm going to mention the verse, but just listen with me. Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21 says this. In hope he believed, speaking of Abraham, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Does that sound like a wish or, or a hope? Or a hope in the English understanding? or a, a desire that something may happen, or a feeling that may come to fruition? No, Abraham, Abraham's hope was a confidence. 
No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Verse 21 of Romans chapter 4, I believe, is a definition of hope. The scriptural, biblical definition of hope is this. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That, that in my Bible, I've written beside that definition of hope. When we become fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised, that is our hope. That is our hope. We don't see this as, an, as, a, as a possibility or something that we're wishing for, but instead a confident expectation. I want to say to any of you here this morning that may have, not, have never placed your faith in Christ, if you are placing your hope in experiences or feelings or some kind of knowledge or things that you've done for God, you may have your card in your Bible of when you've accepted Jesus into your heart. If those are the things that you're placing your hope in, then your hope is in a wrong place. Our only hope can be in Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for us on the cross. And today I want to, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. I want to entreat you. Come to Christ. Lean upon what he has done for you and not what you can do for him. And brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you now at this point. I want to say to you, and this is probably, this is the point that most was driven home for me as I was preparing the sermon. Hear this. Do not, do not place your hope in something you will lose. Did you hear me? You will, try, you will, in your own heart, try to place your hope in so many things that, brothers and sisters, you're going to lose. Right. It's going to pass away. It's going away. Do not place your hope in something you will lose. Let it be that 30 seconds after you close your eyes and breathe your last, your hope will be before you. You will not have lost it all. You will have gained it all. At that moment, my prayer this morning is that we will be a people who hope in Jesus Christ and Him crucified, who our hope is to be with our God and Savior. Saints, do not place your hope in something you will lose. Everything in this world will be lost. Because of Christ's supreme status, superior status, and because of Christ's superior sacrifice, hope is not simply helpful or even reasonable. Our hope instead is mandated, is mandated. So brothers and sisters, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Secondly, the manner of our hope, without wavering. Notice with me, if you will, in our, in our text it says, let us hold fast to the confession in what way? Confession of hope in what way? Without wavering. Without wavering. Now the picture here is this, is that there is a narrow road. And a narrow path. And that path is very dangerous. You know why? Because the shoulders drop right off. If you're wavering much, the shoulders drop right off. And you say, is that what is being said here, Shane? I think that's exactly what's being said here. Let, let me, let me, let's back up for a minute and look at verses 19 through verses 39. This pastor has taken a turn here to an application side of the passage here. And in his sermon, he's beginning to apply things. And he's saying this. 
Let us draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. If these things are not true in your life, if you are not coming and, and, and doing these, pursuing, drawing near to God, holding fast the confession, letting us consider how to stir one another up, the, the, the necessary consequence of that is verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. We're going to be getting to this passage later on here in the next few weeks. But the danger of this wavering in your hope, the danger is not just being in a bad spot, it's apostasy. It's turning away from the faith altogether. If you're not drawing near to God, holding fast to the confession of hope, considering how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, the slopes on the sides of this road is apostasy. Is apostasy. Pretty hard words. It says in our passage that it goes on in verse 27 of chapter 10, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Verse 30, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Brothers and sisters, this is a serious matter. This pastor was concerned about his congregation wavering because the sides of this road fell off steeply. My concern this morning is that we do not waver, but instead hold fast to our confession of hope. Notice with me in chapter 10, verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. That was his encouragement to his congregation. He did not want them to fall away. He was warning them of this dangerous path that they could slip off into. So how do we keep from wavering? How is it that we're to keep from, that we're able to hold on to this, this confession and keep from wavering? What's interesting is, is that as you look through the book of Hebrews, what we find is that this pastor was concerned for his congregation that they would be doing the same things that the Old Testament Jews did in the Old Testament and how they fell. Notice with me, if you will, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. It says in chapter 3, verse 14, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. So God's people of the Old Testament, they were hearing God's voice and they were hardening their hearts. For who were those, verse 16 of chapter 3, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who, were left, uh, who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned and whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? And so he's saying here, there were those in the Old Testament who, who heard the voice of God and who were disobedient, who rebelled. And it says here, they were left lying in the wilderness. They had sinned. They did not enter God's rest. Verse 19, so we see that they were unable to enter. Why? Because of unbelief. Because of lack of faith. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us, let us fear, 
lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because they were not united by faith for those who listened. How do we keep from wavering? We keep from wavering when we listen to Christ's message being proclaimed and we trust in it. That's how we keep from wavering. We keep from wavering when we continue to come back to the gospel and say what Jesus Christ did, what he accomplished, where he, what he did on, on earth when he came and he shed his blood and, and, and he uh, took the punishment and penalty for our sin. Keep coming back to that and saying it was Christ. It's about Christ. It's about what he has done. Amen. And in so doing, how do we keep from wavering? We keep from wavering by hearing God's word and trusting what God says, trusting his promises. Believing in His promises. So we're to hope in a particular manner, brothers and sisters. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope in a particular manner without wavering. Thirdly and finally, I want us to consider the motive for our hope. The motive for our hope. For He who promised is faithful. That's a sermon you need to preach to yourself every hour of every day. He who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1, it says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. This promise is a promise of receiving or entering into God's rest. This promised rest that he's given to his people through his word. But what exactly is this rest? Well, we see that it's actually pictured or foreshadowed in the promise that God had given to Abraham. In Hebrews chapter 6, it says, verse 13, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. You see, that's foreshadowed in in Abraham. So this resting was foreshadowed in Abraham. And then we see later on in the book of Hebrews, all I'm doing is going through the book of Hebrews and looking at the words promise and trying to figure out what is this promise that God is faithful to. Abraham's promise of the Old Testament and Old Testament laws were all shadows of a better promise according to Hebrews chapter 8. Verse 5, it says, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5 says, They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that, as it is, much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better. Since he has enacted, listen to this, better promises. Better promises. In other words, The Old Testament law and Abraham were all foreshadows and pictures of promises to be. So this entering this rest, this going to the promised land that was promised to Moses, that wasn't the end, that wasn't the goal, that wasn't the aim. Chapter 9, verse 15. We're close enough to that. If you would, look at chapter 9, verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So that those, those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now we're getting closer. 
What is this promise that God is going to be faithful to? A promised eternal inheritance. Now, if you will, let me jump ahead to where we're going. Turn with me, if you will, to chapter 11 of Hebrews. Let's figure out what this eternal promised inheritance is speaking of. Does this eternal inheritance cause us to live differently? Does it affect our lives? If we are trusting and hoping in this promise that God has given to us, that he's going to give us an eternal inheritance, will it affect us? And in what ways? What we see is that the book of Hebrews, specifically chapter 11, is a list of men and women who were radically transformed and shaped by the promise that God had given to them. And they were hoping in this promise that God had given to them. Notice with me in chapter 11, and we're just going to look at it just kind of sweepingly. We're going to look at this more closely, obviously, later on in the next few weeks. But in chapter 11, verses 4 and 5, it speaks of, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Verse 5, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Was Abel and Enoch's hope in long life and health? It couldn't be. Abel's life was taken by his brother. It was cut short by murder. If you look at Enoch's life and you look at Genesis chapter 5 and you read, everybody around him had 500, 600 years. How long did he live? 65. God took him. See, his hope wasn't in his long life. I'm going to live forever, right? I'm going to eat right and exercise and, and that's my hope, to live as long as I can. That wasn't their hope. Their hope was instead in a promise that God had given to them. As it says here, by faith, Abel offered this more acceptable sacrifice. By faith, Enoch walked with God. Not to get a longer life, but to just be with God. And the Lord said, you know what, you want to be with me, I'll take you. Was Noah's hope in his ability to work, in his vocation... It says in verse 7, By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. I don't think he took that in college. I don't think that was his major as ark building because he knew that was going to be. He had planned that out in his whole life and that he had got his whole life together and he had worked all that. He had placed his hope in his plan that he had for his life. Not at all. Noah was trying to take care of his family, trying to raise the things, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God interjected his plan into Noah's life, and here's Noah building a boat in the middle of a desert. Not part of his plan. Was Noah hoping in his, his education and his vocation and his ability to do things? Not at all. You know what Noah was doing? Trusting a promise from God. He jettisoned all of his plans and his hopes that he had, his work and his vocation, his attempt to take care of his family, and he said, this is what God has called me to do. It's a good thing that everybody around him supported him and encouraged him in this endeavor, right? Not at all. He was hoping in God, and he was trusting in a promise that God had given to him. You see, hope, uh, Noah couldn't hope in comfort or safety or his vocation or in his work or in how he was educated and what he could do. What about Abraham? Could Abraham's hope be in the security of his homeland? Where he grew up, what he knew, and everything that was familiar around him? 
Do you think it might have blindsided them when God all of a sudden out of nowhere in uh, verse 8 of chapter 11, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Some of you are right there, aren't you? You have no idea where the Lord's sending you. You're right in the middle of that. And you're saying, you know what? I, I'm, I, I can't figure out what God is doing. And if I wanted to, I couldn't plan and prepare this thing. But I'm going to hope in God. I'm going to hope in His promises. See, Abraham's hope couldn't be in his security, in his homestead, in his place of comfort. And instead, the Lord sent him out from there. Had him wandering around in a place he had no idea of where it was and what it was about. His hope couldn't be in his land. Finally, look at this faithful lady, Sarah, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Isn't that a blessing? We don't read all the other part of the story where she went for years crying herself to sleep, right? We forget about that, don't we? She didn't. And though she is going to enjoy this blessing of this baby, she's old. You know what she realizes? Just like what you would realize if you were in your 90s and have a child. I'm not going to see them get married. I'm not going to see them grow old. I'm not going to see their children. See, there was heartbreak with that. She couldn't hope in those things. Because her hope had to be in something different. Brothers and sisters, I fear that we so often have these tendencies to hope in health and long life. We desire to hope in the things that we have in way of security and our education and our vocation and the things that we can do. We hope in our, 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 our ability to have a place that's familiar and around us. And we see by all of these saints who've walked before us, their hope wasn't in these things. And brothers and sisters, our hope cannot be in these things. You know why? Because if you place your hope in these things, you're placing your hope in something that will not last. You see, my prayer this morning is that we as a congregation will be so heavenly minded that we will be of earthly good. Now, you've heard that phrase said another way, haven't you? That we're so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Problem is, is that Scripture doesn't speak that way. Scripture says that if we're so heavenly minded, then we will be of the, we are the only ones that will be of any earthly good. C.S. Lewis says this, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. So what is your hope in? Is it in marriage, job, status, health, children, intelligence, home, friends? Is your hope in all these things? Do not hope in something that you will lose. So where do we hope? When sorrows and struggles come, because they will, and they will wear on you. It's easy to be in sorrow and struggle for like three hours. But we all know that that's not how it comes, does it? It comes in stints of years. Day in and day out, facing the struggle and the difficulty, trying to love people through it. When sorrows and struggles come and they will wear on you, know this, brothers and sisters. He who promised is faithful. When temptations and terrors seek to assault you and drag you away, and you don't know if you can hold on any longer because the temptation is so overwhelming. He who promised is faithful. 
when worry and anxiety set in and it almost paralyzes you for fear that you're going to lose something like your loved ones or your job or your home or all these things we try to put our hope in. Brothers and sisters, our God is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised, he who promised is faithful. Let us pray.